Hear now the word of the Lord. Psalm 68, verses 18 to 20. You ascended the heights, leading away your captives, receiving tribute from people, even from those who rebel against the Lord's dwelling there. Bless the Lord. The God of our salvation supports us day after day. Our God is the God of salvation, and escape from certain death comes through God, my Lord. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you may remember the moon landing. Um, I remember my parents telling me stories about that when they were in elementary school. They, I think my dad, it was like they took him to a big gym and they brought in a little black and white TV um, to see. And no, he, wasn't, he was in high school. What am I talking about? He was, I, I'm conflating memories with that. But it was a big deal. And I remember being a kid, like the, the space shuttle um, launches, the going into space, this, this amazing thing that's going on, um, this amazing capability of humans um, going, going to space and how, how big and beautiful that is. It's like a science fiction, it was like a science fiction novel that actually became real life. Humans walking on the moon when we were at D.C., um, a few weeks ago, went to the Natural History Museum, and they have moon rocks, and seeing the moon rocks that they took from the moon, how, how lovely it is. Um, my family loves to go out to West Texas to look at the stars, and how amazing to see all the stars in the sky, and when there's no light pollution, and, and it's, it's just lovely. Uh, we talk about space in that kind of way. I grew up on, you know, Star Trek, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Um, but, you know, the ancients never really talk about space. There's not this concept of, of space. It was all part of the heavens. It was like clouds and wind and rain and snow and moon and stars and comets and the sun and planets are all a part of, of this astonishing thing that they refer to as, as heaven. In Hebrew, it's even more tactile. It's the Hashemayim. It's the waters above, because that's at the very creation. They, um, God creates um, the, when, uh, the heavens and the earth. It's like the waters above and the waters below. Um, but that's this, this term for heaven. Throughout scripture, the, the moon and the stars play integral roles throughout. There's, a, you know, there's an eclipse at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. All of these, um, these objects in space having impact. They matter again and again and again. And then we have this moment where we get to in the creeds where Jesus ascended. It happens in Scripture in the book of Acts when it says he ascended into heaven. But um, it leaves us with a question of where actually did he go? <laughs> My friends, we are continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed, the historic doctrinal statement of faith. We're going to look at how the creed encapsulates Scripture, what God has revealed to us about who God is, about how everything is, was created, how God loves us, why we are in need, how God saves us, and what we should do about it. Today, the phrase, he ascended into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven. I have a friend of mine who's a professor of New Testament at University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and I heard a, an interview with him recently, and he was talking about how he loves that, that Paul is, a, is an ancient physicist. Um, Paul loves the physical world. Paul talks a lot about the physical world in all of his letters, including in this one 
odd moment in, in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about the third heaven. He doesn't talk about the first heaven or the second heaven. He talks about the third heaven. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. A lot of accounts of, of heavenly visions, um, whether you know, true or fallacious, um, come from this account that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 12. And since there's been a church, there's been Christians arguing about what, what does Paul actually mean here by a third heaven? Some would say that, well, the first heaven is the sky, and the second heaven is outer space. But again, like, there's not a difference in the ancient world between the sky and space. And the third heaven may be the presence of God or some other concept like that. But this gets to, you know, Paul is never super clear about it. He kind of, like, drops it as an anecdote in the middle of his letter. Oh, by the way, I saw this friend a few years ago. He did this. It was kind of weird and cool. And then he goes on. Um, He's not very clear, but then the similar question is, is the third heaven, this place, is this where Jesus goes when he ascends? And part of the challenge is that Jesus' body ascends to heaven. They watch it. It's actually um, in Acts 2, or Acts chapter 1, he was lifted up and a cloud took him. It's a strange view of meteorological phenomenon that the cloud is the one that moves Jesus, according to um, the Luke, the, the, the writer of the Acts of the Apostles. But it's not, it's his body who goes up. It's not this disembodied spirit. Because disembodied spirits aren't very important in the Bible. They're, they don't really come up that often. Many cultural images we have of life after death have to do with disembodied spirits moving around, maybe making pottery with you, um, if they're Patrick Swayze. But, uh, but that's not really Christian in, in origin. It comes from other, other cultures. All of the resurrection accounts in the Bible have to do with like, the physicality of Christ's body. He, his, um, his fleshiness, he eats fish, is always a sign of, of that it's a physical body. It's something concrete. And that concrete body that, that walked with him after the resurrection ascends somewhere. And you can, it's, also, it's, it's not that hard to have in your mind this image of someone being zoomed up like, you know, third, Close Encounters of the Third Kind or E.T. Um, and this kind of like zooming into space. Jesus didn't fade into nothingness and then like, or snap and he disappeared. Like as it, like it says in Acts 1.9, after Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And part of this matters because there's not a tomb of Jesus anymore. There's the, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem that you can go there, but there's not any bones for Jesus hidden um, behind all the incense. It's, it's a lovely place. You should really uh, encourage you to go if you ever can. But um, there is a lot of incense. So if you're allergic to incense, I would, you, know, you should probably cover your nose. But um, if anyone ever claims that there are bones of Jesus, they find them, then it's like, then the whole faith really is a fraud. Then it's not, it's not true. It's this concrete thing. Our belief in resurrection is also the belief that the resurrected body of Jesus is no longer present on earth in the same way that it was. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father as it continues in the creed. But where is that? that, is, that is, this is the question that is impressed upon if you, if you think about the creed. What is it actually asking us? Because heaven is not just another planet or another solar system. We can't visit it like in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. There's not, you're going to zoom many light years away and then you get to heaven. It's not a physical place. If God is the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all reality, then God is not just another aspect of reality 
just with his own little reality home over there. God is the source in whom we live and move and have our being. To believe that Christ ascended to be with God the Father, though, we, we are left with an act of faith. An act of faith in this, an act of faith that the final details, the final physical account of the presence of Christ's body is not left to us. We have Paul talking about the third heaven. We have Moses speaking of the heaven of heavens, Jesus talking about the bosom of Abraham. We have Jesus ascending, as it describes in in Psalm 68 and in Ephesians 2, ascending after he descended. Yet when he goes up into that space, into that heaven, and this is really the point, and this is the heart of it. It's not this um, physical excavation of a precise location of where Jesus' body currently is. It's that because we are Christ's body, the church, we are the ones who have heard the word, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has risen over the years, again and again, passed down generation to generation. When Christ ascends, he takes us with him. For just as he remained with us even after his ascension, so we too are already in heaven with him, even though what is promised us has not yet been fulfilled in our bodies. Christ is now exalted above the heavens, but he still suffers on earth all the pain that we, the members of his body, have to bear. Why do we on earth not strive to find rest with him in heaven even now? Through the faith, hope, and love that unites us to him. Christ's ascension doesn't simply give us something to look forward to after we die. Christ takes part of us into heaven, and Christ remains here with us on earth as the body of Christ, because the kingdom of heaven is already here. This is what, when Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is here. There is now this continuity between the presence of God, the eternal presence of God, and our lives here, even in the midst of of sin. Resurrected life is possible here and now, but it is an act of faith. It is a step beyond the comfortable into a space where we don't exactly know what the result is going to be. And even as we speak of the ascension, we are still in the season of Advent. Now, most of the biblical accounts of Advent come from Luke 1, uh, the, the first chapter of Luke, and it starts with a man named Zechariah. He was a priest. He had duties at the temple, um, at the temple in Jerusalem. And priests at that time in Second Temple Judaism functioned kind of like roughnecks um, out on an oil rig. And it was like two weeks on, two weeks off. Um, I think it was probably a little bloodier to be a, a priest. Um, mostly what they did was sacrifices. They would receive people's um, offerings to the temple, the, the turtle doves, the, the goats, the sheep, and all those, and they would be the ones who, who gutted um, and killed the animals. So they'd have a lot of blood, and they would be doing it two weeks on, two weeks off. It'd be pretty intense. So this is his life of Zechariah. He is a priest to God. He's married to this woman, Elizabeth. They don't have any children. And then an angel comes to Elizabeth and says, he's, they're going to have a son who is going to be a prophet. Zechariah, a man who had dedicated his life to God, to doing the things he knew he needed to do, he thought he needed to do, he doesn't believe her, and he becomes mute. He cannot speak. 
And so all throughout the rest of Elizabeth's pregnancy, he is silent until John is born. And, and Zechariah affirms the name of John that wasn't a family name. And then instead of just speaking and saying things, Zechariah sings. He sings, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty savior born of the house of his servant, David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy in righteousness all our days. That's, that's the key. That's the one I want to hold on to. Free to worship him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days. For us today, we can follow Christ without fear in holiness and righteousness because Christ ascended and is present with God the Father and yet is still present with us here. We can follow him without fear in holiness and righteousness. And righteousness, again, is this word that also means justice and translates the same word, justice and righteousness. We can worship him without fear in holiness and justice. But what does that mean? So one tool for how to do this is called, is called the general rule that, that John Wesley shared, the general rules, and there's three. A tool of how to worship God, how to live a life of, for God set apart. The first rule is, is do no harm. That is how we live in holiness, in righteousness, or justice. Do we believe that our actions are causing harm to people? Do we see it? Is it clear? If it is, then we should assess and change our behavior. If we actually seek Jesus and wish to follow him without fear, the onus is on us. If we want to follow Christ with fear, then we should be afraid of the consequences and not look into the consequences of our actions. But to follow him without fear, we are unafraid. We are free. We start with, with not harming the people directly around us, the people in our lives, the people who we work with, who we golf with, who are neighbors. And then we move on in larger ways, willing to follow the rabbit hole of the actual consequences of our actions in this world because we are following God without fear, because Christ is risen and ascended. We don't need to hold on. We don't need to shut down that search. Because if we're not willing to think about the consequences of our choices, of our actions, of our travel, of our diet, of our, our home impact on the people around us, we're shutting off Christ's power on our life. We're saying that Christ's power goes only so far and then these other things I don't really want to mess with because I enjoy my life. The next step in following in holiness and righteousness is to do all the good we can. Are we doing all the good we can or a limited amount of good? Are we, do we have an adequate supply of good that's coming from our life? Is it tolerable? Do we live without fear and holiness and righteousness because Christ is present with God and is ready to offer justice? Or do we feel like we're the ones who have to offer justice? And so we, we feel in that position. Next week, we're going to talk about judgment. That's a, that's a, fun, that's a fun topic. Everyone loves judgment. But it's still in presence, in, implicit in, in the message this week that the presence of Christ with God, the Father on the right hand, the justice is Christ's, it's not ours. And ultimate justice is always 
Christ's. Our position is not to make others suffer and pay, but to do the good we can. That is what holiness can, it looks like. And then finally, to do the things of God, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to come to worship together, to give to God. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is either here or it's not. Either we live into it or we don't. We are each offered an opportunity to live into Christ's kingdom here and now by faith, by walking in faith. We can reject God's call on our heart. And when we choose to ignore the harm we do to others, we reject God's call on our heart. When we choose to blame others, when we choose to always put ourselves as the victim of a situation and never take accountability for our own actions. And I speak for myself here, my brothers and sisters. When I do that, when I blame others, I am rejecting God's call on my heart. When we stop at the threshold of doing good and say, oh, that's enough. I've done enough good today. That is a lack of faith. There may be other factors going on, but it is a lack of faith that the God who created everything, who loved us, who died for us and rose again and ascended into heaven is with God the Father and is with us. And we don't need to stop loving our neighbor. When we say God didn't ask me to be perfect, I'm sorry to tell you, but if you read the Bible, Jesus kind of does. Says in Matthew 5 48, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He doesn't say be adequate. It's not like be good enough. It's like be perfect. Now, the idea of perfection that Jesus is, is speaking of, teleos, means like fulfilled and complete. Be complete in God. It's not don't make any mistakes, it's be, be complete in who God created you to be. And so you can follow through with who God has created you to be, to do all the good you can, to take the time to discern the good that you do, to participate in the practices of God, to worship together, to pray together, to share together, to speak in holy ways together, to, to guard our tongue from evil words together. And if we do not talk humbly, my brothers and sisters, we're denying Christ's presence. We're denying the physical location of the presence of God. That, that Christ and Christ's body ascended in order to be more present with us. But there, there is grace, my brothers and sisters, there is grace in this. This doesn't end in like works righteousness by another means, but a response to God's call and God's love isn't to leave us in the same place, to call us to a new place of holiness and righteousness, to not be satisfied in the past. In this season of Advent, may we remember the two meanings of Advent, the coming of Christ as a child and the coming again of Jesus to judge the living and the dead. Today is Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday. We light the pink candle. It's the easiest day to remember on the Advent wreath, the pink one. The pink one's not love, though we always think it's love. It's not love, it's Gaudete, which means rejoice. Rejoice again. Again, I say rejoice. We rejoice in Christ's coming when we live into Christ's coming now. Not to push it off, not to pretend it doesn't matter, not to think we've already passed the test we have to seek Christ's kingdom first. Rejoice in doing so, and all these things will be added. Christ ascended the heights for us. Let us live a heavenly life of love here in response. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we remember the presence of your Son, Jesus, in this season. May we wait for his coming by living into the kingdom of heaven here and now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.